We're in a great series, finishing it up this week. We've entitled it The End Commandments. And you know, we've talked about different things. Really what they are, they're the not commandments because Jesus gave his early followers some commands that were a little bit different than what they were used to. You see, Jesus came on the scene, he was born, he came to the planet, he became a man, he was a prophet, he was a priest, he was our God, the Lord, and he chose at the beginning a few followers. I mean, he just handpicked a small group of men, and then there were men and women who attached themselves to that ministry, and he taught them different things that they maybe weren't accustomed to. He, he began to teach them about things of the heart, not just outward motions. They've been used to sacrificing animals and doing certain things. And he came on the scene and he said, now things are gonna be a little bit different here. Uh, I wanna teach you some new things. And no, he began to teach that we should love one another and that we should, we should uh, care about each other and that we shouldn't have an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but we should forgive and release people. And, and, uh, and he gave certain commands like, do not fear, uh, do not worry, do not sin. And, and uh, he had the whole stage set for what they thought was going to be a revolution and that he would deliver them from the Roman rule and that he would stay there. And then right at the very pinnacle of what was going on, he was crucified. And when he was crucified, the whole team kind of fell apart. Sort of like when the quarterback gets hurt, the whole team's like, what are we going to do now? And so they, they, some of them went back to doing this, went back. I mean, they just kind of fell apart. But then three days later... Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection, which is the most powerful thing. Thank God for the resurrection, because without it, there's no promise of eternal life. Really, in the resurrection, Jesus did a tremendous work. He opened the way for eternal life for all of us. And then his disciples, they came back and said, wow, this is cool. And I would think it would be cool also if the one that I was following died, if I saw him die, saw him put in a grave, and then three days later, I'm having lunch with him, I think that'd be a cool thing. I think that might change my perspective because the resurrection is a big deal. And as a matter of fact, each one of you are gonna be resurrected one day. Dial that in for a moment. You're gonna be resurrected. Read it this morning in the one-year Bible where Jesus says, you know what? Every person will stand before my judgment seat and give account of their life. Now, for some people, that is like, oh, man, I don't know about that. And other people say, bring it on, Jesus. I can't wait. And so we're going to get into another commandment and wrap it up today with, how about this one? Doubt not. Don't doubt. And all these commands are kind of weird because if I tell you don't fear, it's like, okay, uh -uh, well, how? How do I not fear? How do I not doubt? And we're going to find that out today. But I want to begin with uh, some, some verses of Scripture out of the book of Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus is just talking to his disciples and he's, he's asking them, what's the word around town about me? What are people saying about me? Who do they say that I am? And so they give him the answer. Well, some people say you're a prophet. Some people say you're John the Baptist. Come back. Some people say a lot of things. And then Jesus turns to those followers and he says, well, you know, what do you say? What's your opinion? Where are you coming from concerning me? And in that 16th verse, Peter says this. He says, uh, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. He said, that's who you are. We know that that's exactly who you are. And then Jesus replied to him and he said, blessed are you, Simon, uh, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. In other words, you got this by revelation. And then Jesus goes on to say, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. For anybody who's doubting whether or not Jesus is going to be successful in his quest for redeeming mankind and setting up a new church, come on now, that's going to go through the test of time and at the end be the bride of Christ without spot or wrinkle. For, for all of you who are doubting, I want to tell you that there's no need to doubt that because what Jesus begins, he finishes and Jesus always wins. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it looks like right now. I could care less what it looks like right now. Don't get all bent a shout sh about the way it looks right now because I know what Jesus looks like right now. And he says, I'm building my church and I'm not going to fail at it. And I love the way Jesus builds his church 
because he builds it in three ways. First of all, he builds it by revelation because you can't enter the church without having revelation of who Jesus is. You can't just join the kingdom of God. You've got to be born into the kingdom of God, and the only way to be born again is to have revelation of who Christ is and what he really did. So he builds through revelation, and then he builds through relationships, relationally, because everybody who has this revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, somehow or another, God intertwines us together. We're people who know that Christ lives, and because that, we have a relationship one with another. I don't know all of you, and I'm not best friends with all of you, and neither are you with most people in this room, but we are relationally connected through Christ. And then the third way that he builds, which is very, very important, because without it, we wouldn't be here, and that's that he builds generationally. That means it's from one generation to the next it's not just, hey, just for us. We got it from somebody that passed it down, and we're going to give it to somebody else. Come on now. Those Mesquite Indians down the uh, Rio Coco River in the middle of nowhere in the early 1900s, Assembly of God missionaries came by there and brought them Jesus. And still today, they remember Jesus. It's generational. Come on now. Aren't you glad that God sends people to places that you won't go so that people like you can know the Christ you know and be part of the church that he's building and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. This is the way Jesus builds. And so this is what Jesus was bringing. So with that, let me ask you this question. Wouldn't it be great, do you think it would be great if you had zero doubts? I mean that you didn't doubt anything, that you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are where you need to be doing exactly what you need to be doing with who you are doing it with. I mean, there's no doubt you are right where you need to be. Wouldn't it be great if you didn't have any doubts? Wouldn't it be great that everything you start, you would start without a doubt? You would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this, I am right smack that right in the middle of God's will for my life. And I mean, I'm equipped and I got this thing and don't worry about it. I love it. And it's great. Wouldn't you, how many of you would like to live a life like that? But wouldn't it be great? Just think what you would do if you had that much confidence and there would be no doubt. But you know, it's not really that way. Everybody deals with doubt. They really do. As a matter of fact, a lot of the people who knew Jesus dealt with doubt. Some of his very closest followers dealt with that. John the Baptist, for instance. I mean, get this. John the Baptist, first of all, is cousin to Jesus. And he sees Jesus one day. They're both grown up now. Jesus is coming up the Jordan River, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There he is. Here's the Messiah. Here's the Savior. Here's the one, the Redeemer. Here he is. And then, you know, he baptizes Jesus and there's all this thing going on. And I mean, it's great. And then John gets a little bit riled up in his preaching and his preaching lands him in jail and ultimately lands his head on a platter. And he's, you know, he's dying. Matter of fact, I think I read that in the Bible today where John the Baptist had his head cut off. And you know what Jesus did when he heard that John the Baptist had his head cut off? He went into a solitary place. I just, I just caught that. That's just a little lanyap thing. He just went in a solitary place and got his heart and his mind right because he realized we're in the real thing here. But John the Baptist, when he was in the jailhouse, sent some people to Jesus to ask a question. And this was the question. Would you go ask Jesus if he is really the one or should we be waiting for somebody else to come? What does that sound like to you? Say it out loud. Yeah. It sounds like doubt. I mean, I was so, behold the Lamb of God, and now I'm not even sure if he's even the one. And then doubting Thomas, he got his name because he doubted everything. One of the 12, chosen by Jesus, you come on with me, and now he doubts everything. I doubt if he lived, I doubt if he died, I doubt if he rose, I doubt everything. I don't know what's going on, I doubt if I'm even part, I doubt if we're going to make it, I don't think we're going to make it. And I tell you what, the only thing going to help me if I see him, if I put my fingers in his side, and all these things, if I do, and then Jesus said, well, I think I can accomplish that. And he appeared in the room and said, hey, Thomas, come over here, son. Go ahead, you can do it, it's all right, don't freak out. And when he touched Jesus, he responded and he said, my Lord and my God. He said, it's great. I believe you. And then Peter, man, Peter, the number one guy, Peter, the one who said, you are the son of God. You are the living Christ. You're the Messiah. 
finds himself outside in a courtyard while Jesus is being tried in a kangaroo court and he can't stand up to a little old girl and he denies Christ and then he curses Christ. Doubt. Let me tell you about doubt. Doubt is real and we all have doubts. I have doubts. I remember six months into leading Northwood Church, I was flooded with doubt. I mean, I, had to, I called a meeting of those men who were over me in ministry, the, my leadership, and, 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 and drove to Gonzales and met with them because I was so doubtful that I was going to be a success in leading the church. It just, like, it just, it just came one day, and there it was. And I, I met with them. I'm glad I got to meet with them. I'm glad they encouraged me. I, I really am glad. Because this thing of doubt, it shows up uninvited, unannounced, and unwelcome. It's, it's sort of like, you know, if your neighbor just showed up at your house tonight about 8.30 and you're in your pajamas, you know, or maybe less and you're watching television <laughs> and they just show up like, you know, they brought, and they brought their neighbors from the other side of the house and they got chips and, and salsa and they just up in the, hey, what's up? It's like, you're not invited. You know, I come from South Louisiana, and people do that in South Louisiana. I don't know about now, but when I was growing up, it was like, people just drive up. Nobody would call you and say, is it all right if we come? What are you doing? Do you mind if we come by? We just show up, dude. And that was it. And I remember coming here, and I tried that a few times. I said, man, this ain't, this is different here. People don't like you to just show up. You have to call and make an appointment. That's how doubt is. You're doing just fine and doubt just intersects your life. And all of a sudden you were so bold and so proud and so sure. And now you're so doubtful. It's an intruder. It violates you. As a matter of fact, the word doubt, the Bible word doubt, the meaning of it is simply this. The meaning of it is to withdraw from. It it means to back away from. That means that If you allow doubt to continue in whatever area that it's flooding your life in, it will eventually take you out. What you doubt will eventually take you out. Do you hear what I'm saying? If you doubt your marriage, doubt your marriage, doubt your marriage, eventually if you don't deal with doubt, it's going to take you out because it, it leads to other attitudes and other thoughts that lead to other actions. And so doubt is not really our friend. Doubt is our enemy. And Jesus is not saying to you, don't have doubtful thoughts. Can I give you some proper theology here? Just as temptation is not sin, temptation is not sin, but in the church, most people count temptation as sin. And the reason I know that is because some of you could not even imagine that someone is being tempted. I can't believe you as a Christian are being tempted in that area. And see, that's bad theology. Because even Jesus was tempted in every way that you are tempted. How many ways? Every way. And so Jesus never sinned. Now, no, if you don't deal with temptation, you will sin. But being tempted is not sin. And having doubt is not sin unless you let doubt take you out, which leads to other activities that cause you problems. But when doubt intrudes into your life, as an unwelcome visitor... It doesn't mean that you hate God or you don't trust God. It means that you need to deal with doubt. So it's not about having doubtful thoughts. It's about not allowing doubt to enter your mind and control your actions. Because you know how it is when we start doubting. And you know, sometimes doubt is just almost trivial and kind of fun. I make a decision maybe. Maybe I'm doing something and Jan comes and she says, you sure you won't do it that way? And all of a sudden, oh God, I'm I'm down. I'm not sure if I can do it that way. I don't know. Well, that's no big deal. That's not the kind of doubt we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of doubt that will take you out. And Jesus talks about that. And he knows that. That's why he's teaching us doubt not. So here's Jesus. Man, he, he's a master. And he, uh, he did great miracles. He did wonderful things. And in one giant campaign, after they were finished, he sent his disciples out into the Sea of Galilee in a boat. He said, go to the other side. I'll see you there. I'm going to let the crowd leave. I'm going to you know, tell them goodbye. And then 
He did that and he went up into a high mountain to pray all by himself. And he stayed there most of the night. Meantime, while he's praying, all his disciples in this boat, man, and they can't get across the sea. The wind is contrary. There's waves, you know. It's not a storm, but it's just things are not going right. You know, the wind, I, you know, if you got a sailboat, the wind's got to blow in a certain direction. And if it's blowing totally against you, I don't know about sailing, but I think it's hard to go north when the wind's blowing against you. But that's what was happening to these guys. And so it's, it's early in the morning. It's still dark. And all of a sudden, they look up, and there comes a person walking on top of the, the waves, now, I know you don't think that's a big deal, sitting in your chair and say, yeah, yeah, go on, keep going, keep going. But Jesus is walking on the water, man, and they see him. I mean, the wind is blowing hard. There's maybe six-foot seas, eight-foot, I don't know how, but the wind, you know, and they see this person coming, and they get all freaked out. We used this illustration when we talked about fear not. They're afraid. They look, they're afraid. It's a ghost, man. They're crying out in fear. Jesus says, hey, no, it's me, guys, it's me. Here I am again. I'm doing something extraordinary again. And, and the amazing thing is, is that Peter, who I love Peter, look, Peter either hit a home run or he struck out. There was no in-between for this guy. I mean, you know, and really, truly, that's not a bad way to live. Some of you need to swing the bat a little bit more. Because you, you, I can tell you one way to be a success at never making a mistake, and that is do absolutely nothing. I love people who do nothing, who tell people who are trying the best doing something and failing how they ought to not fail, but that's, they do nothing. Yeah, that, that's a good place to go, whoa. Yeah, because, you know, it's usually the people who are doing nothing, who are looking at the people who are trying to do something and going, ah, look at him. And so Peter, Peter, my man, Peter's right on the edge of the boat. I can just see him now. And, and he, he says, hey, Jesus, if that's you, command me or tell me to come on. So Jesus says, hey, bro, come on. I mean, honestly, I mean, they're having a conversation. And in the boat, he said, Jesus. And I mean, you can, if that's you, tell me to come. He said, come on, Peter, come on. And so Peter just jumps out, of, you know, and he's walking on water. I don't know about you, but that's, that's impressive. What if today you just decided this afternoon to go out on the beach? Well, you know, that's not a good example because our water is so shallow for so long. <laughs> it's like you're walking on the water for a long time. Some people say, well, can we baptize out in, in the sound? I said, no, you got to walk out three miles to get enough water to dunk some. You need binoculars from the shore. But, but can you imagine if you could walk on water? I mean, you just go to the pool there, the local pool, and just you say, hey, dude, you're just walking on the water. Spin around, do a little dance, you know. It would be tremendous, and that's what Peter was doing. Man, he is walking on the water. It's supernatural. But then, in the 30th verse, he says, but when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid, and he's beginning to sink. He is sinking down. And he, he cried out, he said, Lord, save me, which I love because real prayers are usually short prayers. Long prayers are usually, we got a lot of time, Lord, you're so great, you know, and, and he loves that when we, when we pray and exalt him and he loves that. But man, you know how it is, like you're about to get in an automobile wreck, you don't have time to say, Lord, in the mighty precious name of Jesus, we come to you today and we just thank you, Lord. You know, just say, what do you say? Lord, save me, or just Jesus, or just help. And he knows your heart, so he knows. But you didn't say in the name of Jesus, so I'm not sure I can do it. If you'd have put out the name, in the name of Jesus, I would have helped you, but you gotta crash now. You know, that's how religious we are. But, but here, he cries out. Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Immediately. I love that. Immediately. He didn't let him just thrash around, you know, going down for the third time. Let me just prove something to you, Peter. You thought you were something, but hey, look what happens if all I got to do is just look away and look what happens. No, immediately he reached down and he pulled Peter up. And the wonderful thing is, he's having a conversation while he's doing this. Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And I realize that as they're having this conversation, they're standing on top of the water. He's with Jesus standing on top of the water. 
And I don't know what attitude Jesus said. I wasn't in the boat that day. I don't know what tone of voice he used. But, but I, I will say this, that I'm, the further I go on knowing the Lord, the more I believe the Lord was happy and confident and for you and not against you. And so I've just got to believe that what Jesus said in the midst of all this, he reached out and he said, oh man, where's your faith there, Peter? Come on up here. Man, why are you doubting? What are you doubting about? Man, I, I came walking on the water. You just was walking on the water. Why did you doubt? And that's a question that I think we could ask ourselves right now. Why do we doubt? What is it about doubt? Why? And I think there's several reasons why we doubt. I think we doubt because we do have a little faith. I think Jesus hit it right on there. Your faith was not enough. Well, and, and some people have little faith. Some people have stronger faith. But let me say this. Sometimes we have strong faith and then we have weak faith. And then we have strong faith. You understand? And, and so little faith. So that's why it's important that we build our faith. And that we, we stay strong in faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, is you really don't live for God without faith. But there are other reasons. I think adverse circumstances are another reason why we doubt so much. It's like things are going great and we're like, yo And then all of a sudden, adversity comes. It's like we start questioning because doubt is nothing more than questioning whether or not what I'm doing is true and right and worth it. These adverse circumstances will come your way. It comes in marriage, usually around the first week. <laughs> and it lasts till about the seventh year. What, am I sure? Oh, man, this is the first night I wake up with her. Him, him. I wake up. Is he going to be like this? Is this who I married? This is not who I married. Well, you don't look so good either. You don't act so good. You know, I doubt, maybe I doubt, doubt, doubt. And that goes on for about seven years. But hang in there and you'll get over into the eighth year and it'll be better. <laughs> you doubt the job, you doubt this. When adversity comes, why is it that when adversity comes, the first thing we do is doubt rather than faith it? And it's true. It's just, oh, it's like, oh, what did I do wrong? Why is this, you know, blah, 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 blah. Did, did I sin? It was my parents' sin. What's the sin? What's the deal? We doubt. I think uncharted territory is another reason. Folks, listen to me. God is going to bring you into new places and new things, and you need to be ready to not doubt him. Because let me share with you, when you go into a new place, you've never been there before. You understand that? So there's going to be apprehension, but you can't doubt. You've got to press forward. In other words, you make a decision. You can pray, you can make, but once you make your decision, you've got to press forward with it. And let, let the Lord lead you and guide you and teach you, but do not doubt that he will leave you and forsake you. And then I think sometimes just random thoughts causes doubt. Everything's just fine. You go all of a sudden, like, just like an arrow, just shoo, this thought just enters your mind and you begin to doubt. Some of you have experienced that more than once. I have. Man, there are days where I'm going alone and everything's just fine. I'm just walking like out in the parking lot or maybe at Walmart or maybe at my house just sitting all of a sudden, just like an arrow from hell into my mind, just <laughs> none of this is real and you've wasted your life in leading people in a lie. And then I have to make a decision. What am I going to do with this doubt that just entered? What do I do with that random thought some of you didn't think I had those thoughts, huh? Because you think preachers are perfect. I want to let you in on something that maybe you don't know. But we who stand on this platform are regular people with all the identical same things that you struggle with and go through. We have been nothing but sheep that God took out of the fold and said, I want you to lead for a while. We are regular people. Do you understand that? That's why you need to have your own faith and don't put your faith in other people because if you are just piggybacking on someone else's faith, when they fall, you fail. You understand that? You have to have your own faith. And so these things comes. They come to us. 
But then Jesus, you know, he just keeps pressing forward. What I love about Jesus, didn't matter what happened, no matter what adversity, he just keeps plowing, man. It's like, it's like he's got his ear stopped up, but he just keeps going. But then Jesus, he does a miracle one day. He's walking down the road, it's early in the morning. He sees a fig tree. He's hungry. He goes to the fig tree. There's not a fig on the tree. It's like my fig tree. I got this fig tree. It's a crummy fig tree. I mean, I had like, you know, I had like eight figs this year. Birds ate six of them. And then two of them just fell off all by themselves on the ground. Just little old shrunk up purple, nothing. And so he sees this tree, wants a, a big juicy fig and there's none. And so you know what he says? He curses the tree. He says, no one will ever eat from you. And immediately that tree just shriveled up. And his guys are following him. They're watching this thing. And man, it's like, whoa, man, what, what are we got ourselves into now? I mean, this man that we're with, he speaks to the wind and waves and they stop. He raises people from the dead. He casts demons out with a whisper. And now he's speaking to trees and they're just drying up right before us. And Jesus hears this. And this is what he replies to them in the 21st verse. He says, truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, there it is, faith, doubt. Not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. Now that's a powerful teaching there. And that's not a teaching about just name it and claim it, you know what I mean? Just, just blab things out and God's supposed to just like a vending machine just give it up. That's not really what Jesus is teaching here. What Jesus is teaching here is about faith. He's teaching about faith and not doubting. Because that's what he says. If you will have faith and you will not doubt, you will have power. That's what he's saying. Not just selfish power, to just use your confession and your faith to get the things of this world. I love that song we just sang. Man, I've tasted the world. And let me tell you something. The world is raunchy and the world really has nothing that will satisfy me or you for any extended period of time. It just won't do it. Grab yourself an old person, you know. You know what I'm talking about, an elderly, a senior that's been around the block several times and ask them if there's anything in this world that has satisfied them and they will tell you, no. I don't need another pair of socks, another shirt, oh my, another car, oh, what'd you get? another chair. Unless they wear out and you want to remodel, that's okay. But you understand what I'm saying. Another thing to make me happy. And so Jesus teaches about faith. And what faith is, is believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. And he, that's all that he will do. He will only do what he says he will do, not what you say he said he would do or not what you want him to say. He doesn't do that. Faith comes from the truth of God's word. And watch this. That's why you need a word from God. Nearly 27 years ago, Jan and I came to this community. We came to building number two, which was building number one, which was actually the only building we had. So we were there and we were coming to try out to preach to see if we were the ones that were going to be the pastors of this church. And God had something comical in mind because here we are, we're coming, and rightfully so. But when we walked out of our car and we walked into the lobby area of that building, we got in the center of that building. God spoke to me and he said, you will pastor this church. Those were the exact words I heard. You will pastor this church. So I had a word from God before I ever walked into the building, before I ever knew the condition of the church, how many people, was there any money, what was going on, is there a devil, I don't know, is it in trouble, do they hate you, will they like you, will you preach good, will they like your three little kids, or will they despise your wife, what are they going to, will they accept us, will they reject us, before any of those thoughts could enter, God spoke to me and said, you will pastor this church. And for nearly 27 years, I have not doubted one moment ever that I was to pastor this church. Now, I did have doubt about whether I could pastor the church successfully. 
but not that I was the pastor of this church. That's why I've never wanted to quit. That's why I've never said out of my mouth I'm quitting. That's why I never planned to move anywhere else. That's why I never will look at anywhere else to go because God told me I would pastor this church until he was finished with me pastoring this church. And when he's finished with me pastoring this church, I am going to be finished pastoring this church. And I'm not going to pastor one day longer than I'm supposed to. And guess what's going to happen to Northwood Church when I no longer am the lead man here? Guess what's going to happen? It's going to continue. Why? Because Jesus builds his church revelationally, he builds it relationally, and he builds it generationally. You understand what's happening? Come on, ain't that great? Ain't that great? I think it's great. I think it's great. You can't doubt. Why are you doubting? Man, why are we, why are we getting all bent out of shape about all this? Why are we doubting? You know what I mean? It's like, get a word from God. Come on, you get a word from God for yourself. You can stand on that word. And you can believe his promises of what he said for you, to you, about you. And there's nothing can steal that from you. Amen? Amen. So Jesus, he did so many miracles. He was so powerful. I mean, he took some bread and some fish one day and fed 5,000 men and women and children. Might have been 8,000, 9,000 people. He feeds them, does other miracles, goes here, goes there, does great things. But then he finds himself beginning to teach a, a large crowd of people again. I mean, things are going good. The crusades are going great. The crowds are mounting and Jesus is speaking. But like his character is, the closer he gets to the cross, the more powerful he is, the more serious he gets. And so here he is. He's teaching them. And he says, you know what? Moses fed you bread from heaven, the manna, Old Testament. But I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. I am the true bread of life. That was a type and shadow of me, manna every day. But now the real thing is here. I'm the bread of life and you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And if you don't do that, you don't have any part in me. Now, let me tell you something right there. The crowd got a little bit edgy because now he's going a little bit deeper. He's getting a little bit more serious and he's telling them, you got to go deeper in your commitment. It's okay to be in a crowd and follow me around. And you're, and, and I, I love Jesus. You know, he said, he said, Hey, you know what? You're not following me around because you like what's going on or you want to commit. You're following me around because you ate of the bread and the fish. Just a little teaching on you don't serve Jesus for what you can get out of him. He says, so I, I want to just kind of push that on the side, that elementary, that immaturity, that fleshly endeavor. And I want to talk to you about going deep now. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And in the natural, they thought, what is this all about? I mean, it sounds strange. They were thinking literally because people who are not spiritual always take everything literally, never see the bigger meaning of what's going on. And so this is what they did. Here's their natural, their, there it is, verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, they, got, they started talking among themselves, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Hey, you know, this is very, man, you, did you hear what you said? Drink my blood, eat my flesh. Man, that's a hard saying. What, who, can, who can accept that? I can't accept that. Can you accept that? We can't accept that. What about you? Hey, Roger, what about you? Can, I, well, I don't know. Hey, Tom, can you, you know, Hey, Linda, why? Hey, Linda, what about you? Well, I don't know. It's pretty hard to me. Well, i tell you what. Now, now, there's, now, I heard there's another guy preaching on the other side of the river. He ain't talking about all this. He's talking about getting stuff. So I'm going over there. It's a lot easier. 66 verse, the outcome of this great sermon from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I'm not talking about many of the crowd that were just on the edges, you know, the crust of the pizza, so to speak, way out there. We're talking disciples. The word means student, followers. Many of his followers, many Christ followers 
When Jesus called for a stronger and deeper walk with him that would cost them more, they turned and left. There's a lesson here. They doubted Jesus. They doubted his leadership and they doubted his doctrine. They doubted if he was the one. They doubted if they could follow. They never stayed and investigated. They never even spent time and said, well, can you teach us more about this? They heard something that didn't settle well with them and they turned and they took off. And the crowd was so important because the crowd was what was keeping Jesus alive, basically. Because everywhere he went, there were crowds of people and the, the Pharisees and, and the, the lawyers and those Jewish leaders would never attack him in public because they, they feared that the people would revolt. They feared that, they feared that the people would, 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 would come against them. That's why they arrested him in a garden at night with just a few of his followers. And they came with chains and swords. And so what did Jesus do? I mean, he's losing the crowd. The crowd's walking away. It'd be like I'm talking to you right now and, and three quarters of you would just get up and start walking out the door. Which, by the way, I have that dream quite often. <laughs> did you know that? I have a reoccurring dream. I get up here to preach. Jan will testify. I get up here to preach. I can't find my reference, the scripture I want to reference. And I'm, I'm flipping in the Bible. It's an hour. It's two hours. I can't find it. And finally I look up and got like three people sitting over there. Everybody else left. I've had that dream for like 25 years constantly. Might be a little insecure. I don't know. Or maybe I need to know my Bible better. I'm not sure. But watch this. They're leaving. And what did Jesus do? He didn't freak out and say, y'all come back. I didn't mean that. Let me, let me explain myself. No, you know what he did? He said to his 12, he said, do you not want to leave me too? Is that what you want? Are you going to leave me too? Are you going to? He turned to his leadership team and he said, is this too heavy for you? I love Jesus, man. He's bold. Look, let me tell you something. You know why? You know why he's so bold? Because he knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. Bold. You hear me? Strong and bold. And here he said, are you going to? And then Simon Peter, my hero. Come on, he's, he's that bad again. You know what he answered? He answered, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Who are we going to? Only you got the words of life. Where can we go, Lord? To whom shall we go? Remember this, that you're going to serve somebody or something. Every one of you in this room right here, every one of you, you're serving somebody or something right now. The question is, who are you going to go to? When doubt comes in, even when people around you flake off, I've seen thousands of people flake off in my 36 years of living for Jesus. Flake off. I stand by what Joshua said, but as far as me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. As a matter of fact, those mystique Indians who were evangelized in the early 1900s by the Assembly of God missionaries, that picture of Jesus on the wall, the scripture underneath is out of Joshua 24 that says, as far as me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't know about your house, but my house is going to serve the Lord. How about that? So Jesus said, you know, hey, come on, let's go a little bit deeper here. Because this is what will happen. Every time the Lord wants you to go further, doubt will whisper, is it true? But then if you'll listen carefully, Jesus will whisper, if not me, then who? Doubt will always whisper, is it worth it? You sure it's worth it? Jesus will always tell you it's absolutely worth everything. All the praying, all the sacrificing, all the giving, all the serving, all the forgiving, all the encouraging. It's all worth it. When you get before Jesus Christ, you will be glad and you will say, I'm glad it was worth it. And I'm glad that I dealt with my doubt and I wasn't taken out. That's what Jesus will say. In the 69th verse, Peter says, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. You have got to come to a place where you know that he is the Holy One of God. And I'll tell you this right now. When you go to each level, next level of commitment, 
You go higher and higher. Your doubting becomes your shouting. It's just amazing what happens. When you live for Jesus and when you press through and you get over that plateau, you always want to shout. It's just so great. So now, what do we do with this? How do we deal with that? I want to give you some practical things. I mean, that you can do starting right now that's going to help you deal with doubt because doubt is a defeated lifestyle. There's no peace in doubt. There's always questioning and uncertainty. This is how you do it. Number one, you're going to have to question your doubt. You just have to. You have to question your doubt because if you don't, it'll take you out. In other words, what I'm saying is you got to doubt your doubt. When doubt comes in, just say, I doubt that. You, you, you're you're going to fail in your marriage. I doubt that. Uh, do you know the Lord doesn't love you? I doubt that. You're stupid. I doubt that. Might not be the smartest thing in the world, but I doubt that. You have to doubt your doubts. And I, I mean this seriously. You have to speak out of your mouth. You have to say something. Folks, let me tell you something. Sitting still passively in apathy will get you killed. You'll be taken out. It's so important that you stand up, especially you men. Stand up and be counted in the ranks of Christ and get the victory so that you can lead your family. Got to doubt your doubts, man. It's just all there is to it. The next thing is that doubt loses its power. You know when? When held up to the reality of the resurrection. Man, we just sang about it. Let me, let me tell you something. If you do not have a working, continual, perpetual revelation of the resurrection of Christ and the future resurrection of yourself, you will never overcome doubt. You've got to settle it. You've got to nail it down. You've got to be sure and assured that you are who you are in Christ. That God is who he said he is and he will do what he said he will do. It's revelation. And I'll tell you how to get revelation. You seek God and he gives you revelation. There's no five steps to it. You seek him. I was reading in the word this morning in the Old Testament in Chronicles. And, and amazingly, I could see the New Testament reflection of everything that was being spoken of. Hezekiah cleansed the temple because they had neglected the temple. And instantly, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I must cleanse the temple and bring everything back in order. That's the Old Testament account. Here's the New Testament application. That's how you get revelation. But if you never seek him, no revelation. And doubt will gut you. Number three, you want to give you want to know that God gives the grace to have faith in the moment to overcome doubt. It's grace for the moment, folks. Grace is not needed if it's not needed. In other words, God, look, I think quite often how God got me to where I am in ministry. And I remember taking a 60% cut in pay to go into ministry full time. And I look back now, that was 32 years ago, I, I look back constantly and, and I feel, and I question myself, I say, could I do that now? And it's like God said, you don't have to do that now. You did that then, you don't have to do it now. You did it then, and I gave you grace to do it then. But when you're just thinking about it now and trying to apply it now, you don't need it now because it's not now, it was then. So the grace you got then, you don't need now. But if I ask you to do something new, you're going to need grace. The next step is going to need grace. So if you're looking back and saying, how did we do this? How did we do that? How did I leave this? How did I start that? How did I accomplish that? And, and, and you don't feel that, that peace about it. It's because you don't need the peace about it because it's in the past. But then you turn around, and you look forward and you start to shake because you know that without the grace of God, you're going to sink just like Peter did. Because faith is us reaching up to God. Yes, Absolutely. But grace is God reaching down to us, and that's exactly what happened to Peter. You understand? That's what happened to him. Lord, save me. I'm sure he had his hand up. I don't believe he was like, hey, Lord, save me. I'm sure he had both hands up. 
One of our granddaughters fell in the swimming pool the other day without, we were all right there, without their little jacket on. And, you know, I ran over there and guess what I saw? I saw that little head bobbing out the water and those hands were up like this. You, when you're sinking, you're not just going to be casual about it. Lord, that's faith. I believe that if I raise my hand up that you're going to grab it. And grace is Jesus reaching down and grabbing Peter's hand. And so it is with you. It reminds me of Psalm 40. In Psalm 40, the psalmist said this. He said, I was in a pit. And I waited patiently in the pit. Because you can walk out of a valley, but you can never walk out of a pit. And he said, I cried out to the Lord and he heard me. And he reached down. And he lifted me up out of the pit. Some of you are in a deep pit, man. And he put my feet on a rock. A solid, trusted place. And then he put a song in my heart. And the song he put in my heart was a song of praise for the grace. Because he could have left me in the pit. But because he loved me and he heard me, he lifted me up. You can't doubt, no matter where you are in life, and no matter how long this goes, because I'm going to tell you something. Carnal people who live for God for a long time always experience doubt. They never build on the, the victories that God has given because they never get victory. But those of you who are living for God and you've gone through hell and high water, really, with Jesus, and he's been with you in trouble and times even where you failed him. You made your bed in hell, the psalmist said. Couldn't run from him. Because the moment you say, Jesus, save me. The moment I love, he's an instantaneous Jesus. He changes everything. There's no need to doubt anymore. Sell out and kick out the doubt so that we'll never be taken out. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes right now just for a moment. And I know we do this all the time. We take a moment to close our eyes. Don't go to sleep. Come on, stay vigilant. But you who know Jesus, I mean, you really do know him. You do have a relationship with him. But just would you get along with your God and, and any doubts that have in your mind? I believe the Lord wants to just kind of flush all those out right now. And he wants to embrace you with his love and his power. He may be speaking to some of you, oh, you of little faith. Why are you doubting me so much? Come on. Let's get over to the other side of this situation here. I'm with you in the water. I'm with you on the water. Just spend some time with the Lord. Some of you never spend any time in solitude before the Lord, except on a Sunday morning for just a few moments like this. Make the most of it. Put that doubt right before the Lord. And then there are those of you who you're, you've come into the house today and you're not right with God. Your heart is sideways, maybe closed off completely. Maybe you haven't trusted anybody for a long, long time, but you find yourself here and you're ready to say, you know what? I'm going to believe God. You're in the right place right now because what I want to do is introduce you to the only one who's able to save your soul and the only one who's able to guarantee you eternal life. Jesus is the only way to eternal life. And the Apostle Paul really gives the three steps that every individual needs to take if they're going to find eternal life through Christ Jesus. Number one, he says, I, he said, I've got one message. I've preached the same message everywhere I go. Number one, you have to repent of your sin. Listen to me, folks. You got to turn from your sin. You got to repent from it. Repent from your sin. Number two, he says, you have to turn to God. Turn to the Father. He's a loving Father. He cares about you. And number three, he says, you must put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must drown your doubts by putting your faith in Christ alone. No other place. No other place but Christ. He died for your sins. Your sin put him on the cross. He loves you. He wants to redeem you right this very moment. So what I'm going to do while we're just alone with God, I'm going to pray a prayer with you. 
And if that's you and you say, Pastor Van, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to give him all my sin and all my shame. And I'm, going to, I'm in this pit and I'm going to cry out and I'm believing that the Lord's going to lift me out, put my feet on the rock. That's me. I just want you to pray along with me. Father, I thank you right now that you love us. You love me, Lord. That you died for my sins. That, Lord Jesus, you rose again to assure eternal life for me. But I've turned away from you and I've sinned against you. But I confess that right now. And I lay my sin aside. I turn, I repent from my sin. And Father, I'm turning to you completely. You're my hope. You're my only hope. And I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ right now. That he died for my sins, he paid the price for me. And that he will seal my heart for eternity. I surrender to you. I commit my life to you, Lord Jesus. Take me, use me, fix me, cleanse me, and change me. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, and amen, and amen. Come on. It is good. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. If you'll text the word SAVED to 51660, we want to send you a link to our website that'll explain a little more about the decision you just made and give you some steps to take so that you can grow in your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.